0: main street to wall street global business celebrity and former fortune 100 c-suite executive jeffrey hazlett takes you inside the good the bad and the ugly of businesses today saddle up it's time for all business with jeffrey hazlett
1: hey one way to stand out in business is to own your category What is it that you do better than everyone else? My guest today is a distinction expert, and he's here to give us some actionable tips on how we can stand out in an often crowded field. Scott McCain is an internationally known distinction expert, best-selling author, keynote speaker, virtual presenter, and of course, in the Speaking Hall of Fame with yours truly. He'll discuss the destroyers of differentiation, the cornerstones of distinction, and factor of iconic performance. Scott, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlitt.
2: Jeffrey, it's always great being with you. I, I, I'm feeling older by the second when you're talking about how long we've been together, but I, I've loved every minute of it, man. I'm, I'm telling you, we we have both uh, grown and, and obviously the things that you have done, you know, when you left the speaking business and you took a different route in the, in, in the corporate world and being, uh, you know, becoming a, a, a C-suite Person in the corporate world, and then uh, a, a celebrity executive. You've just done so many amazing things, and it's it's been great as a pal to follow you and, and to applaud well, you, dude. Career, I read
1: your so. book. I had to distinguish myself from everybody else <laughs> in the crowd, sitting around those rooms and everything else. You know, and, and you and you and truly, Scott. I don't know. You know how uh, how influential you have been for lots of speakers, including myself, because that. you've certainly been doing it. You and I have been doing this since our early twenties. We've been out. You've of course had a big Big, huge uh, career in radio. You, of course, you can tell with that voice, and uh, which is fabulous. So, I want to talk about how do we distinguish ourselves in a crowded space. I mean, let's think about speakers, thought leaders. Let's think about either other CEOs that are out there selling their products and services, or any other C-suite executive. How do we distinguish ourselves in a crowded space?
2: Well, I think, first of all. Jeffrey, we have to battle the destroyers of, of differentiation. There, there are factors in the marketplace that, that pull us back like a magnet. I mean, there, there's some obvious ones. You know, the competition is more challenging, more difficult than it's ever been. It's also more global you know, than it's ever been. I, I, I think of uh, the hardware store in Crothersville, Indiana, where I grew up, that, you know, never imagined that its competition was going to be Amazon. Uh, where where you could get it delivered to your doorstep in a, in a couple of days. So uh, the the competition is global. It's different than it's ever been, and 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 that's one of the factors. Uh, the, the, I think one of the primary factors that's overlooked is you know, when I was a kid, my mom always told me that uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And with all respect to my mom and 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 everything, it's not true. I mean, the longer that that I've done business with your organization, it doesn't mean I start holding you in scorn. The problem is that familiarity breeds complacency. So Mm. the longer that we keep doing things the way that we've always done them, the more complacent our customers become. And you know, that works both directions. Uh, the longer that you've been my customer, the more likely I am to take you for granted. It's it's part of why we see so many organizations offering these incredible deals to new customers, but aren't rewarding longtime existing customers for their business. So when you add all of those factors. It's, it's really difficult to stand out because the marketplace is geared for pulling us back to the pack. And, and you know, how many times have you seen this? We think the safest thing to do is to A, do it like we've always done it and B, do it like the competition is doing it. But you know, no one ever left a business as a customer. Nobody, nobody ever walked out of any business, whether it's B2B or B2C and said, man, I love them. They're exactly like everybody else.
1: Exactly. That's so true. You know, and I see that so many times somebody will come to me and they'll like, let's just take speakers. They'll have the same exact pictures, holding the same microphone, the same pose. Or many times I'll have somebody describe their company and they say, we're so unique. But if I took out their name, I could put in any other company. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, everyone's struggling to stand out, but there's still so much similarity out there. What what causes the similarity among businesses?
2: I think it comes from many things, Jeffrey. And goodness only knows in in your experience, you've seen it. But I I think part of it is too many organizations focus internally rather than externally. They they try to protect what they have rather than than being willing to take the risk for the future. Uh, You know, they, they are out of touch in some ways with with their customers. I was on a flight a while back, you know, pre-pandemic, and the woman sat next to me told me about the company that she was with, and it was in the intellectual property licensing business. Well, my, my first wife, my late wife, Sherry, that's, that's what she did. So I know the business, you know, I, she was on the board of directors of that trade association. And so I go on their website, of that woman, and there was, a, there was a page on the website that said, what makes us different? And everything on that list was something that my wife's company had done 10 years earlier. So what made them different didn't make them different. And anybody in the business that read it knew it wasn't unique, but yet because they were so internally focused, they didn't realize that the very things they were saying made them different didn't make them different. And, and you know, I, I, I think that's one of the things is, too, we focus on the wrong word. You know, different is not better. You know, if I slap every customer in the face, I'm different, but it doesn't mean they're going to come back and buy from <laughs> better
1: me. Better is, be- isn't better? Better, better is better.
2: Yeah, better is better, <laughs> and 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 that's why I talk about distinction yeah. rather than differentiation. Differentiation just means I'm different than than my competitors in the marketplace. Distinction means that the points that I've chosen to stand out have traction and meaning for my customers, and if it doesn't mean something to the customer then it's not going to be significant in the marketplace. And and through the research, I found that there were four basic cornerstones of of distinction that becomes a pathway that you can start applying to to your business or to your career, regardless of size, it can make a difference. C-Suite Radio.
1: In this distinction, Terry, how can you tell the distinction? Is it through stories? I mean, Hmm. sometimes I think we get, by the way, we get caught up in those stories (laughs) And we keep the same stories. I was just recently telling an audience that I, of course, left Kodak back in 2010, but not more than a month or two ago, I heard someone tell the exact same story about (laughs) Kodak that I heard in 2006, the first day I was there. And it had the same exact number, the same exact words of how many people came to the website per day. It's all a fake. It's all made up and meaning it's not real anymore. It's not relevant. So how can I make the stories more relevant or how can I make the distinction more relevant for people?
2: Well, a, a couple of points on that, because you really bring up something vital here. And that is how do we communicate the distinction is through the power of narrative, through the power of story. Whether or not we are distinctive, I think, is determined by the marketplace. The, you know, the marketplace decides. You and I have seen so many speakers, for example, that want to talk about how unique they are, and then you hear their speech and it's it's you know zigzagger yeah, material. Telling somebody else's over.
1: story. Yeah, yeah telling exactly. somebody
2: else's I'm, story. I'm distinctively telling Jim Rohn's material, you know. But but <laughs> the point, but, but the point is when it comes to communication, narrative is the key. And and that's that's one of the things that fascinates me. I wrote my last book, Iconic. You know, you can you can graduate from a very distinguished university with an MBA and never take a course on the customer experience, never take a course on communicating with customers. I I wonder sometimes is it relevant in in today's world if we aren't educating and teaching future leaders on the things that you're doing on the C-suite network, which is real world. Right. And so the real world in terms of communication is, you know, for a decade, I, I was on about 100 television stations a week. Uh, doing entertainment reviews and reports. It was the greatest side hustle in the world, right? And I learned that there's three acts to every good story. Act one is the introduction of characters and conflict. So what a business, it's not about you. It's about the conflict your customers have. What's the problem they need solved? What's the issue that's, that's really important to them? Act two is always the search for resolution, And, and, you know, the search always doesn't go perfectly. You know, it's not that, uh, hey, uh, Jane was lonely. She met John. They got married. The end. That's not a good story. You got to talk about the bad dates that Jane had. You got to talk about the challenges that she went through. Right. So that's always act two. It's the longest of the three acts. And it's the search for resolution. Act three is the heroic resolution for the primary character. It's when we defeat the problem. And and that's where we excel as business, because the heroic resolution is not that we're the hero, but the customer has made the decision to use our product and service to to resolve their issue and to resolve their challenges. Because at the end of the day, our prospects are always going to value the stories about other customers. More, they're going to value the story about how great our product is or how great our service is. us bragging about our own own assets. We we, we have to connect through narrative with customers.
1: Well, I tell you what, everybody better write those three things down. Those three acts, <laughs> right there. Your business needs to be a dramatic business, right? Like a like a show, rather yep. than a comedy show, a horror show, or some other tragedy that might that might be out there. I I loved Act One about you've got to define that business problem. So many people don't put themselves in the customer's shoes to figure out what it is you want to do that's different and yep. more unique for them to be able to do that.
2: So well, you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head, Jeffrey. Excuse me, real quick because. Go ahead. As you know, it, we've studied it, that's part of the problem we find in business communication, whether it's a sales professional or whether it's a CEO, it's that we begin our story in Act Two. You know, if somebody has a problem, we say, hey, I can solve that. Let me tell you how we can do it. You, if you buy a thousand of them, you can get them 50% cheaper. You know, whatever it might be, we start filling in the details of what we can do, as opposed to really exacerbating what that problem is and and and, and talking about how difficult the search for resolution is. Before we start talking about the way that we can solve the issue, I mean, that's that's the tradition of of stories from Homer writing the Iliad and the Odyssey to to a a, a great thirty second commercial. You know, it's it's well, still it's spending, the same the
1: that, Terry, Scott, spending the time with that Terry or Scott. Spending the time with that also gets us back to the value that you provide in that equation because a lot of people go right to the solution and you should you might want to stretch that out a little bit you might want to spend a little bit more time because it gets back to pointing back to the value that you bring in there because you'll get paid more
2: and it just struck me the power of compelling narrative and you know what just struck me because you know my signature story on the stage is about Taxi Terry, and, yeah,
1: which is why I said Terry. Which is why you said Terry right? And, and,
2: yeah, exactly. We've known each other forever. But my my big speech story, my my signature story, is Taxi Terry. There, I I was before pandemic. I was given a speech in Brisbane. I'm waiting on my luggage at the Brisbane Airport, and this Aussie walks up and he says, "I don't know your name, but you're the guy that tells the Taxi Terry story." And I, I, hey, I don't care if they remember my name or not. This guy, he, he heard the story on YouTube. He bought the book. He, you know, he listened to the audio. He, he, he wanted to talk about booking a speech. So at the end of the day, my ego isn't such that they got to remember my name. But if I have a compelling narrative that people connect with and remember and relate with, everything's going to work out okay for my business.
1: Well, about solving problems. One of my favorite. This is the problem, folks, when you listen to two people like Scott and I, who have told stories all of our life, who are in the Hall of Fame in terms of speaking, is we do know stories and we know great signature stories. And one of uh, Scott's great signature stories in my very first book. Uh, 10 years ago, and that was, of course, the mirror test. He tells a story about buying cufflinks and forgetting <laughs> cufflinks. And I'm not going let to let you on, but i let you tell the story right now because we've got too much to talk about cornerstones yeah. of distinction, and I want to get there. So, you know, without question, bestselling author across the board, all of your books have been bestsellers. And in your uh, iconic book, I believe that's where you really covered it. You covered the four cornerstones of distinctions. What are those? It begins with clarity
2: and, and you know, what's really interesting, Jeffrey, is that it's, it sounds so easy and it's the hardest one for many of the four, you know, because clarity is not just what you are. It's also where you're willing to put your flag in the ground and say, Hey, this is what we are not. And too many businesses think the safe way is to be all things to all people. You know, one of the things, for example, when we work with financial advisors is hearing them say, Oh yeah, but I'm that too. Once you start saying that, it's the slippery slope to being generic. We are recognized for our differences, not our similarities. You know, when uh, the the story I tell is when when I got down on my knee to propose to Tammy, you know, I I, I didn't take out the little box and had the ring in it and hold it here and say, will you marry me? You're exactly like every other woman I ever dated. You know, that that is not a good proposal. You, you talk about how you're different, how you're special. What what is unique about our relationship? And the same is true in business. And and that means you've got to know what you're not as much as what you are.
1: So you got to get Now really you got to tell us how did you propose to her? Because I got to know.
2: Oh, I I rented a ballroom on the top floor of the tallest building in Indianapolis. I got a harpist, and the elevator door opened, and the harp music was playing. And I walked her into the building, skylight of Indianapolis, and and it was night, so you know the lights are on. And I got down on one knee and and I proposed as the harpist played. uh, Very cool, I mean, weird, weird weird thing that happened. I took her out to dinner afterwards and. Uh, Uh, one of the Pacers players and his wife was having dinner and I didn't know if they'd won or not, but I'm a big Pacer fan. And so I I said, Hey, I I hate to bother you, but I got to ask, you know, did we win or not? He said, no, I know we won. I said, did you do? He said, yeah, I I scored 32 points tonight. Oh man, it was great. So anyway, so they go eat, do it, go eat. And I asked for my check and the guy Stephen
1: Jackson had taken care of it. So
2: it was it was a very eventful night. I no, the classy and classy you can
1: on top of that. Both classy. <laughs> it, that's a lot better than when I proposed to Tammy yeah. at the farm in Beersford, which she was laying on a green shag carpet having uh, done beans all day, which anybody knows about living in the in the Midwest. You walk yeah. beans and cut out uh, weeds, and she yeah. was sweaty and grubby. And I laid down next to her uh, at the end of the day and said, "Hey, want to get married?" So you did a much better job. I would hey. say that yours was much more distinctive, and quite frankly, iconic. Now, that's what I want to know—the difference. Now you talk about the yeah. ultimate level of distinction as yeah. iconic. What's the difference between distinctive and iconic? What a great question.
2: Distinctive means that you're the go-to in your industry, right? So if I have an insurance agency, man, I'm the go-to insurance agent in my community. I I stand out from the other agents, and, and I'm the one that's getting the repeat and referral business. Iconic is when I am so good at what I do, I transcend my category. So in other words, I'm not only the best insurance agent in town, my clients wish their doctor ran his office the way that I run mine. They wish their accountant ran her office the way I'm running my business. I become the standard by which everything else is judged, and so there are iconic businesses, even in they're iconic within their community. One of the things I tried to do in this book was not write about Starbucks and Southwest Airlines and Nordstrom and this, you know, the same. I mean, there is a steakhouse in Indianapolis you've probably eaten there, St. Elmo's.
1: I am. I'm, I'm going to be eating there in July. I know exactly what night I'm going to be. Eating uh,
2: it's one of my favorite places. Did you know St. Elmo's has higher gross revenue than Tavern on the Green in New York
1: City? I do know. I, I do. I didn't know exactly. I do know they make a lot of money and they got some special back rooms and okay. it's a iconic, iconic steakhouse.
2: They couldn't figure out years ago. Let's let, here, here's an example of what happens when you take it to this level. Few years ago, uh, when the Rolling Stones were on tour, they were doing their you know the, the stadium tour. New York got two dates, Chicago got two dates, Los Angeles got two dates. Everybody else got one date except Indianapolis that got two dates. Nobody could figure out why Indianapolis got two dates when Atlanta didn't. You know, Phoenix didn't. How did they get two dates? And the Keith Richards autobiography said we wanted to eat two nights at Saint Elmo's.
1: that's 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 iconic that's iconic iconic, right
2: when the stones are planning their tour on eating twice at your place you're iconic so so clarity is first the second one is creativity it's it's finding an innovative way to do it but the thing that i found jeffrey that i thought was really interesting was I, i went to nashville and i interviewed about 20 songwriters people that have written number one hits You know, creativity is the lifeblood of their business and it has to be consistent. You've got to continue to come up with new material without exception. They all said, I got to get clear first before I can get creative. Is this going to be a country song or a rock song or a pop song? Is it going to be sung by a male, a female, a group, up, up tempo song, ballad. I've really got to get clear with that. They all said, and then I can get creative. And and one of the songwriters said something that really struck me. They said, yeah, everybody talks about think outside the box. The problem is they don't even know the box. And that, that really hit me. If we're not clear first, it's really difficult to create meaningful innovation next. Third is communication. It's the narrative that we talk about. And fourth is the customer experience focus. How does it feel to, to be your customer? What's the experience like? It's not just customer service. It's, it's experience. And experience means emotion. Right. I mean, why would I be loyal to someplace I don't have any feelings towards? We got to create emotion. And that's what people at the C-suite have to do as well. How do we create emotional connectivity, not only externally for our products and services, but internally with our teams? So, so that we have loyalty of the team members that we want to retain. We have higher productivity among the rank and file that we desire. So all of these become important, not only externally, but but internally for C-suite leaders as well.
0: C-Suite Radio.
1: Let's talk about that customer service versus customer experience focus. Who does a good job of it? What are some more examples that businesses? I mean, you know, over COVID, a lot of people just were reeled by it and just, you know, surviving was a big part of it. And of course, we talked about not more than surviving, you had to drive and thrive because we had to get through this and we had to be ready for the next version of this. Now, customer the way our interaction with customers has changed so much. a lot of it's like this. We're on yeah. the, you know we're on the screen. What can we do to get get a handle on a, a customer experience focus versus just taking care of customers?
2: Well, I've always said that the difference between the experience and service is the experience adds the elements of personalization and emotion. So where service is, you know, I smile, I do the transaction quickly and efficiently tell you to have a nice day, the, the personalization is, is what we can do to make the customer feel that it's about them. It's not about us. It's about them. So one of the things that I've noticed that that several, I can give you several examples of organizations here that just reached out to their customers during the pandemic to say, hey, how you doing? You know, there, there wasn't a sales message in there. It was just yeah. reaching out to just say, hey, you know, uh, we, we, We may be in different boats, but we're in the same storm, you know, in that way, we're all in this together. How how are you doing? Well, if I if I as a customer feel that you care about me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you that I care. That's part of what we misunderstand about customer loyalty. Loyalty is generated by the experience and loyalty is always reciprocal. Right. I mean, if if you're devoted to your Tammy and I'm devoted to mine, but we expect that same devotion to come back the other way. Right. We got to go both
1: ways. It's got to be a two way street. It's a pendulum that swings both ways. And I also believe when you talk about that experience piece of it, you have to put it in context. So context and timing is important, you know, to think of me after the fact isn't good, but in the fact and in the context, you just said something that I thought was very key. And I think it's probably our last piece that we wrap up on here is, Reciprocal respect. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people forget about that. They think it's a one way. You know, I've been working with a, on a very big board transaction, and the people on the other side of the table have been just quite frankly rude and treating us like they've got everything they need. And I said, I don't know if you remember this, but those with the money usually control what's going to happen. So let's just be very clear: we've <laughs> got the billions on our side. So I think if you want them you better you better pay attention to this so what is reciprocal respect
2: well it it means that we you know here here's if we talk about old speakers there's something i heard on an earl nightingale uh cassette album hey, show i was you.
1: just listening to jerry clower before i got oh, on my
2: we're we're we we love the old the old guys don't we i mean uh Earl Nightingale told this story, and he said it's about the man sitting in front of the wood stove. And he says to the wood stove, hey, first you give me heat, and then I'll put in some wood. And that's not the way it works, right? We we fill up our car before we take off. We don't reward the car with gasoline after we get there. And I think respect is that way. What we have, unfortunately, in some organizations are leaders who demand respect from those they perceive beneath them but yet they aren't willing to go first and extend that respect so that it flows both directions. And, and it's, it's always been amazing to me how the, the most respected leaders over an extended period of time are the ones who display extraordinary respect for their teams. Look, I've worked for leaders that thought fear was the motivating factor. And in fact, it did work in the short term, but then they wondered why they couldn't keep their good employees. And and they wondered why productivity? Well, because nobody wanted to work for a jerk like that, you know, and sooner or later, it catches up with you. And and I, I just think that particularly when we look at the workforce of today and tomorrow, millennials, Gen Z, they're not going to put up with that crap. You know and I mean, they're just they're, they, they they haven't had to in their lives and they, they aren't going to whether we think it's right or not. Those of us older generations, it's just a fact that they don't feel like they have to and they're not going to. And nor so nor
0: should they. Nor,
2: nor should, should they. they. I mean, You're exactly right. Nor should they. Yeah. And 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 so we have to be able to go first to display the kind of respect first that we hope to receive in return.
1: We talk about this a lot in the C-suite. In fact, every Friday night, for those who are listening and watching right now, we throw a celebrate event where we have ask everybody to come and just Give. What do you mean by that? Give. Well, if you give something, you'll get something in return. So give an hour of your time, give somebody some benefit of your knowledge, give them some product or taste of your service, whatever it is. But the more you give, I'll guarantee you, the more you'll get back, which is what Scott is talking about in terms of reciprocal respect, which is just a you know fabulous, fabulous thing. Hey, hey I, just, well, I just thought, one of, last I, just thought of some, well,
2: I just thought of go something. I just thought real go quick. Ahead. Notice, notice the cup of the client that I'm. Um, uh, it's Black Hills Energy, my friends. So, uh, oh, Black what, Hills Energy. But what you have? Your some of the
1: greatest speakers in of all times. I love them. I used to get my electricity from when I lived <laughs> out in Rapid City, but now I live on the eastern part of the state. Do uh, big rivalry between East and West River. Let me tell you what. Well, if you're giving a plug, maybe I should give a plug for EarthBend. What the heck? Hey, there, there you go. 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 I love it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, used, I used to stay at the ramkota Inn so much. I, I think they, they, they remembered me at the front desk, man. I mean, those were the days. I haven't been there for a while, but yeah, good wow.
1: grief. That now now you're place. bringing back memories. I spent my honeymoon there. The first night, the first night was up. at the Ramcota Inn because anyway, there's an old story. Well, Anyway, we can tell stories all day long. Let me we turn can. it back over, Scott. What a pleasure to have you. Good to see you. Oh, I can't oh wait Jeffrey, to always
2: see great you. being with you, man. You're the best. You, I appreciate. I know it. I'll you.
1: see you as part of the Million Dollar Speakers Group and of course uh, the hey, Hall of get together in 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 July with the National Speaker Association, and we'll have a bottle of ice wine.
2: Let's do it. And I want to put in a plug because I'm very excited by what you said earlier, because my podcast, Project Distinct, is part of the C-Suite Network. So thank you for having me as part of the, the podcast network that you have. And I hope folks will give it a listen uh, to Project Distinct on the C-Suite Network.
0: You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com.